So Judges 16.1 says that Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose, and he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was, and finally we get to her, Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will give you, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please, Tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Now, I'm going to leave off right there because this, what follows, is, is not something I want to tag to this message. I want to spend an, entirely, um, an entire ser- uh, sermon on Delilah. Matter of fact, if I can tell you this, this message is pretty much men at their worst. And next week's message is women at their worst. The study of the life of Samson in this time of the judges is really just a study in depravity. It's just not encouraging. Uh, If anything good can come from it, I think it should facilitate us inspecting our own lives and saying, as, as a believer, is there anything that I'm just not taking seriously as it regards God's call on my life to be consecrated and committed to him? Um, I just want to remind you, and I think, you know, you know this, but let me just say it. God's not in neutral when it comes to sin. And grace is not given to us to make us feel motivated that we can get away with sin. That's cheap grace, that's false grace, that's not grace. Uh, Grace is there when we do fail, but it is never meant to be a catalyst to spur us on to disobedience or immorality or breaking the heart of God because we know, hey, after all, we're saved by grace. Um, I don't know what Samson thought about grace. My guess is he didn't understand it at all. But the reality is, is that the things that were written long ago are written for our instruction and our learning. And so when we're looking at these people, we want to take a note. And we don't want to be thinking about other people. Like, yeah, this, she needs this message. Jeff, I'm going to bring so-and-so with me next week because you're going to talk about women at their worst. I know some lady that needs that. or some, uh, Listen, you know, might be elbowing your husband here tonight. You need to listen to what he's saying about this men at their worst. It's, it's not for the other person. It's for all of us. And so I want to bring you the message tonight called the pitfalls of passion. And I'll just tell you ahead of time, um, I'm not going to shy away from the issues of uh, the, the underpinnings of sexual sin that are here in this passage. This needs to be spoken about. And when it's right there in front of us in scripture, we don't need to avoid it. We need to, we need to be reminded. We need to give some pushback and as the church in, in a culture that aggrandizes sexuality and wants to tear down all of the parameters for what God defines as an awesome and beautiful gift meant for really just a husband and a wife. It's not just a man and a woman. I hear that all the time. Well, sex is for a man and a woman. That's not strong enough. It's for a husband and a wife. And so when we walk through this tonight, um, if you're offended, I forgive you. Amen. So let's get into it tonight. All right, so let's look at Samuel's, excuse me, Samson's uh, moral weakness on full display in verse number one. We're just kind of, it takes my breath away, and and the writer just gives it as a, 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 just a fact. Samson went to Gaza, he saw a prostitute, and he went in unto her. Now, I want us to remember where Samson is leading up to this. He's just experienced the victory. He's just experienced the breakthrough. Now, he's exhausted. Uh, I believe this came right on the hills of his victory at Lehi. Some people may disagree, but I believe it happened right after Lehi. It definitely follows immediately after in the, in the scriptures. But he's, he's just experienced an amazing breakthrough. 
He's written the worship song to God. He's had the supernatural provision of the water. And again, as I've already mentioned, I, I would love to think that that would spur him on to a greater level of commitment and consecration and really want to own the calling on his life, but he doesn't do any of that. The very next verse says that once again, his moral compass is tucked away somewhere and he goes down to Gaza, which is the southernmost uh, Philistine of the five Philistine cities. That's the furthest way. So he's deep into Philistine territory. He goes down and again he gets caught up by what he sees listen I'm not going to make any bones about it Samson had a problem with the lust of his flesh towards women now we recognize in our day that that is a propensity that all men have ladies and I think y'all know this but it's just a good time to, to repeat this but men are wired by God to be visually stimulated if a man is healthy and he's in the normal age range of sexual um, ability then he is stimulated by what he sees but there is a certain type of man whose eyes are full of adultery never ceasing from sin as Paul would say so Samson is one of those guys that he it's not just that he likes what he sees he goes looking for something to see that he knows he'll like and so he's led by his eyes and he's led by his testosterone and he's led by his sexual appetites now what we've learned is this and this is modern studies will tell you that for a lot of men that lust is not primarily a sexual thing it is almost never a love thing and women's have a hard time understanding that sometimes if, if if their husband or maybe their son or somebody they're close to gets trapped in lust or pornography and and the wife's first cry is well why don't you love me you don't love and what they don't understand is that for men it's not about love and it's not always about sexuality what what studies show is that most men turn towards some form of lust when they are under pressure when they are lonely, when they are angry, or when they are tired. And Samson was all of those things. You've got to remember, he had just been humiliated. Remember, he had lost his wife to another man, and then that woman that he loved, they ended up burning her with fire. He had been humiliated by the, the riddle being solved, and they, they, they went behind his back and got the answer from his wife. And then all of the stuff that happened at Lehi when he was bound by the men from Judah and taken captive and given over to the Philistines, and then the massive slaughter of the thousand, he is spent and he is not walking in the Spirit. Samson was one of those guys that, that, that had the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but he didn't guard the anointing. He didn't steward the anointing. He would have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he would do his exploits, and then he would default right back to his flat flesh. That's the pattern in his life. And so when he is going down to Gaza, he comes in and immediately he sees a prostitute. Now, from what I understand, historians tell us that the Philistine women would have had almost zero standards of modesty. They would have flaunted their sexuality more so than the Orthodox Hebrew women would do. And so Samson intentionally was always in the land of the Philistines. Go back and if you read these three chapters on his life, um, chapters 14, 15, and 16, each chapter opens up with Samuel looking at a woman. Every single chapter. And, and so we're seeing this. We have to ask ourselves, why did the Holy Spirit make that so clear in the Bible? Because he wants to say to men of every generation, make a vow with your eyes. Make a covenant with your eyes. Delight yourself in the wife of your youth, but every other woman is off limits. Whether she's in a magazine or on a computer screen or whether she's your secretary or wherever she is, every other woman is off limits except the one you're married to. And if you're not married yet, then you're waiting for the one, the only one that won't be off limits. But Samson falls into the trap that so many men do and he goes into town and he sees what was probably a physically attractive, sensual prostitute. And the Bible is very clear. He went in unto her. And so that means that he spent a forbidden night with a woman that would uh, sell her body for a man's sexual gratification. When, when we look at Samson's life, guys, I want you to hear this as believers. I'm talking to Christian men and ladies, obviously, you can hear it too. But when we're reading Samson's life, he is the leader of Israel. He is the God-called judge and leader of Israel. And in the narrative that talks about his life, he's never in Israel. He's always down in Philistine territory. He's always pressing into the pagan, central, sensual Philistine territory, 
looking what he can get into. It, it, it's, a, it's a picture, one that we've seen too often. It's a picture of, of, of the person who is in Jesus and is blessed with all blessings in all heavenly places. We have everything we need. And yet that impulse of the flesh is to go after something that is forbidden because the flesh and the enemy deceive people into thinking that they're missing something. That, that, that we start thinking that God's call and God's parameters and God's standards and God's commandments and God's re requirement of our obedience, we, we actually start believing like Eve did in the garden that he's keeping something from us. And so if we're not walking with him in intimacy and trust, we'll get suspicious of his rules and we'll want to go beyond the parameters and we'll transgress because we're convinced that there's something in the Philistine territory that I'm really missing out on. And guys, listen. Uh, you, you live in the Philistine world. You cannot get away from it. It's everywhere. Uh, I went to the grocery store the other day, and this is, I mean, this has kind of been going on forever. And I'm just sitting there waiting for the person ahead of me to get bagged, and so I'm standing right in front of the magazines. And these are just the covers. I, I know I sound like an old man, but again, I tell you, I forgive you if you're offended. You're going to listen to this tonight. I, the, the covers of the magazines, I'm sitting there and I'm just, I'm going to do it. I just start flipping them over. I flipped about nine out of 15, just flipped them over. Because if I got to stand there five minutes, I don't want to see that stuff. I don't want my son to see that stuff. And so the, the reality is the Philistine atmosphere is everywhere. And you're either fighting against it or you're becoming numb in it. And when you become numb in it, Eventually, if you continue down that pathway, you can do the same stupid stuff that Samson does. He spends the night with a prostitute. And so here again, we have a guy who's not an unbeliever. He just acts like it. So go down into verse number two with me. Because there he is. He's in a bed. He's got a sleeping prostitute next to him. And the actions and decisions that Samson has made, what he doesn't realize is that one decision to go in unto her within Gaza has now opened him up to the unseen activity of the enemy. Watch this in verse number two. The Bible says that the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place. They set an ambush for him all night. At the gate of the city, they kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. Now, Samson, best we can tell, has no clue that this is what he's gotten himself into. He's just having fun. He's just indulging his sexual appetites. He's just kind of thumbing his nose at the will of God, and he has gone down into a territory where there aren't any Israelites around, and he knows that. And he goes down, and he's the big man there. They know Samson by now. Samson walks into town. They're like, that's the dude that killed a thousand of our people with the jawbone of a donkey. We don't want to mess with Samson. But the word gets out to uh, some of the people in the city. And while Samson is exhaling in bed, laying there resting, the enemy is working all around him. The enemy is actually moving in while Samson's just laying there in the aftermath of his carnal pleasures thinking life is great. And what he doesn't see is he's opened the door. He's given an opportunity for the enemy to come in. The enemy's not playing around. It's very clear. The enemy is saying, we're going to strategize in order to kill him before this time tomorrow. Now, why do I bother telling that? Well, one, it's, it's part of the narrative, but it speaks to uh, the same principle that's at play in our lives. Friends, listen to me. When, when we are thinking about the coming of the Lord and just to intrude upon our day, uh, you know, our thoughts today, he is coming again. He's going to establish a kingdom on planet Earth. We're all are, we all are going to give an account for our lives, what we've done in the Bible. I'm going to stand in front of Jesus Christ. Man, it makes me shudder thinking about it. The resurrected Son of God. I am going to stand before the Bema seat, the judgment throne of Jesus Christ, and in some way, I will be given a reckoning. I will be giving a reckoning for my entire life as a believer. And so when I think about that, it, that, that day coming then, it changes my life now. 
And so when we're thinking about this, we've got to recognize that holiness is, is an expectation of God on every believer's life. And, 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 and we're, if, if we're getting our signals and our promptings from the culture, our, our commitment to personal holiness will shrink. It will go down. And what we'll do is we'll find out what the lowest common denominator is in the culture and we'll make sure we're just above that because we're Christians. But what, what God expects is for us to be holy because he is holy. And I'm going to tell you this. Nobody in the room, I would find this most importantly about me because I know my heart, none of us, have arrived at the holiness that we can arrive to. And so he calls us under the crucifixion of our flesh. The, we, we have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts thereof. So they're dead, and the only thing is that when, when we give in to them, they come alive again. They, they start moving as if they have authority in us. And then when you add in this, because of Samson opening the door, through his sin, he is now under the watchful eye of the enemy, and he's surrounded by the enemy. I was talking with a friend right before service who was just saying, hey, man, I know spiritual warfare is real. I know demons are real. I, I don't believe most of the church, that we speak those words, but I don't really know if we actually believe it to the degree that my brother was saying it, that literally a third of God's holy angels rebelled with Lucifer who wanted the throne of God for his own. And Lucifer and a third of the holy angels were evicted from heaven and they were cast down to the earthly realm. And now all they want to do is to snuff out anything that brings their enemy glory. And so the primary avenue, conduit, for God's glory in the earth is the church. And so the enemy strategizes on how he might attack the church in order to rob God of glory that comes through the church. And when we're thinking of the church, let me just remind you, you're the church. I'm the church. Together we are the church. And so... All of the stuff that I said when we were doing ministry time earlier, right before uh, the students left, all of that is true. We are overcomers. I'm not going to apologize for saying that. We are more than conquerors. We are always being made to triumph in Jesus Christ. The one who lives in us is greater than the one that lives in the world. And so I don't tremble at the devil as long as I am walking in the king. And it is when we step out from that abiding in the king, that's when you might want to tremble. Why? Because he does to us what these guys did to Samson. He surrounds. Let's just break it down. Can I, can I go there tonight? Th throw that verse back up there, verse number two, if you don't mind, fellas. Look at, look at the description there. First of all, they surrounded the place. They set an ambush for him all night. They kept quiet all night, saying, let's wait until the light of morning, then we will kill him. Do you see how strategic the enemy's plan is? Samson's just laying there in bed next to a hooker. That's all he's doing. And the enemy is making plans to destroy God's appointed man for Israel. So the enemy is organized. The enemy, enemy is working in the darkness because that's where the enemy of our lives loves to work he loves to work in the darkness the enemy is preferring in this passage to go unnoticed i just want to let you know that the devil doesn't want you to notice him the enemy doesn't pop in with red horns and a pitchfork that is a medieval caricature of who satan is satan is an angel of light my friends he doesn't want you to know who he is and so he works under the cover of darkness. He wants to work in secrecy. He doesn't want you to know it's him until you can't do anything about it. And that's what they were doing right here. So under the cloak of darkness, they set an ambush. And by the way, they were very patient, and so is the devil in his demonic horde. They're not in a hurry. They, they, listen, I, I don't know. I can't preach this any harder than the reality that, that it, it, it describes. Satan... And his demons hate you. Hate you with a level of hate and ferocity that you have never seen before. They hate your kids. They hate your parents. They hate your grandkids. They hate the babies in the nursery. 
And don't think for a second that there is a shred of mercy or restraint on the one who is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so their motivation, their diabolical, hellish motivation is to get in wherever they can and bring hell to bear on people that are unprepared. And what is startling is we, we never think of these things. I'm going to kill this red wasp. Boo. Thank you, Lord. <sighs> um, we, we never stop to think about the intentionality of the enemy. We usually recognize it after he's already done his work. There's going to be two things that are going to increase the closer we get to the return of the Son of God. You are going to see a massive increase in Holy Spirit work. There will be amazing supernatural gifting. And if you don't believe me, just read the book of Revelation. It's there, but I think that we're already starting to see the increase all over the globe. We're seeing an increase of Holy Spirit supernatural activity. You're going to see an explosion of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that will literally boggle the minds of those that see it. It's going to be unbelievable as we lead up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's going to be an amazing outpouring. I am a, I'm convinced at this point that in my lifetime I will see revival like I have never seen before and I can't wait for it. I mean I'm praying for it, we're fasting for it, we're seeking God for it. We, we are confident that's going to happen. So I'm looking for that. I am looking for it. I'm not trying to dismiss it when I see it. I think every time I see a miracle, somebody posted a, an amazing video. I think it was Jamie Pridgen posted an amazing video on online yesterday that I, I'd never seen anything like it but there was a girl with a leg that was sh six inches shorter than her other leg and she was in a wheelchair and the camera was on it the whole time and a, a, a pastor or an evangelist is praying over her in Spanish because they were in South America and he must have prayed over her for 10 minutes and then he said something in Spanish that I couldn't catch and then literally he puts his hand on the leg and he has it under it so you see everything he begins to just pull back and the thing grew out six inches and the next thing you know she's standing up on her feet they're the same length I saw it with my own eyes it wasn't photoshopped it was real and I'm thinking to myself why am I amazed at that the reason why I'm amazed at that is because we don't ever see it and so but friends you're not going to just see it on YouTube or on Facebook you're going to see it with your own eyes when revival and outpouring hits some of you are going to be recipients of it and we need to start prepping our hearts for that kind of anticipation Jesus made the statement many times be it unto you according to your faith sometimes our expectation is the reservoir that he pours his best into but you're also going to see a second uptick you're going to see an uptick in demonic activity you're going to see the, the fierceness of Satan and his demons. We are already starting to see it in a subtle demoralization of our culture over the last 40 years here in the West, but you're going to see it in, a, in an extent that is just barbaric. It's going to astound us. So there is a war going on. Let's remember that. There is a war. By the way, we're not waiting to figure out who, who wins it. We have already won it. Satan knows his time is short. That's why he's going to be enraged at the end of the age. And he's going to fight and fight and fight as the insane fallen angel that he is trying to defeat the Lord of glory who's going to vaporize him with a word of his mouth and then sentence him to the eternal lake of fire. All of that is going to happen. Here's what I'm trying to tell Bible-believing, westernized Christians who are post-enlightenment. We love knowledge. We love understanding. We want it to be academic. We want it to be formatted. We want it to be systematic in everything that we do. I want to tell you there is a wave of supernatural warfare that is already being unleashed and the degree that we press in to the Lord Jesus Christ that our lives may bring him glory you need to expect that the enemy is going to go after you you need to expect that if God is using you in any way in the kingdom the enemy is not on vacation he's not ignoring you there's plenty of demons to assign to territories and lives and we stand around in the church and we just kind of shrug some of this stuff off. And every now and then I look at the life of somebody in the natural, like Samson's life, and I see in the natural what the enemy does in the spirit, surrounding, operating in darkness, preferring not to be noticed, taking his time, so when the right moment comes, he can kill the unsuspecting believer who's toying around with sin. And that's what is going on right now with Samson. Um, I, I will say this, what's awesome because 
you're, you're not going to get the enemy to stop trying. But you do have the ability to prevent him from winning. You have that ability. And so he's always going to be trying. And guys, I want you to hear me on this. I don't care if you're 85 years old in here. The avenue of sexuality and lust is a proven proven successful tactic of the enemy that's why he goes after every guy with it and most men give into it uh, studies show that somewhere around 75 to 80 percent of men in the church look at pornography at least once or twice a year and I, I think that's a low estimate and and I'm thinking to myself how are we going to engage in warfare for our wives, our children, and our cities? How, how are we going to advance the gospel with a Bible in one hand and, and a mouse on the other hand looking at the computer screen with forbidden images? How can we go on like that? L let me give you something. I'm going to read from Proverbs 7. And uh, Proverbs 7, Proverbs 9. This is in the Bible. So this is not Jeff just getting on a soapbox or stumping tonight. Listen, I have to crucify my flesh too. I, I have to avoid the very things that cause men to stumble. I have to look away. I have to turn away. I have to stop when it's in front of me. I have to look away. So sometimes warfare is not dun dun dun. I got the tingles up my spine. I, I levitated. I had the Holy Ghost anointing and a halo above my head. Sometimes it's you just look at the ground when she's walking this way and you know that your eyes don't need to train on her body. You just look at the ground. Sometimes warfare is exactly that. It's like digging a ditch. So in Eugene Peterson's translation, the message, which I almost never used, but I really wanted it for this. This is Proverbs 7, verses 6 through 27. As I stood at the window of my house, looking out through the shutters, watching the mindless crowd stroll by, I spotted a young man without any sense arriving at the corner of the street where she lived and then turning up the path to her house. It was dusk, the evening coming on, the darkness thickening into night. Just then, a woman met him. She'd been lying in wait for him, dressed to seduce him. Brazen and brass she was, restless and roaming, never at home, walking in the streets, loitering at the mall, hanging out at every corner in town. She threw her arms around him and kissed him, boldly took his arm and said, I've got all the makings for a feast. Today, I've made my offerings. My vows to God are all paid. So now I've come to find you, hoping to catch sight of your face, and here you are. I've spread fresh, clean sheets on my bed, colorful, colorful imported linens. My bed is aromatic with spices and exotic fragrances. Come, let's make love all night. Spend the night in ecstatic lovemaking. My husband's not home. He's away on business, and he won't be back for a month. Peterson goes on to translate verses 21 through 23 this way, paraphrasing. Soon she has him eating out of her hand, bewitched by her honeyed speech. Before you know it, he's trotting behind her like a calf led to the butcher shop, like a stag lured to ambush and then shot with an arrow, like a bird flying into a net, not knowing that its flying life is now over. So friends, listen to me. Take these words of mine most seriously. Don't fool around with a woman like that. Don't even stroll through her neighborhood. Countless victims come under her spell. She's the death of many a poor man. She runs a halfway house to hell, fits you out with a shroud and a coffin. That's Peterson's very creative paraphrase of Proverbs 7. But if you just go read Proverbs 7, you'll find that it stings just as much in the original language translated into English. Guys, I know this sounds like a beating a war drum. Sometimes we only hear messages like this on Father's Day, but I prefer to encourage men on Father's Day, so I've saved my discouraging message for you tonight. You can, you can thank me later. So let's go further, because the story doesn't end with Samson's lust and failure, and it doesn't for you either if you're a believer. If you're a believer who will step out of sin, and you can because you have the Holy Spirit, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful and will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That is the truth of Scripture. So we can't say, I just didn't have any control. No, you have absolute control. But the more you incrementally give yourself to lust, remember, the devil's just waiting. The demons are just waiting. 
counseled so many marriages that ended because a guy loved his computer screen and self-gratification more than he loved sleeping with his wife. Marriages crumble. Kids are disillusioned. By the way, the average age now in America for a boy to first look at online pornography, this is two years ago, it may have even dropped, is 11 years old. Prepubescent boys looking at things they don't understand but awakening the monster within of lust. And by the way, coming to youth group once a week is not going to fix that. Nor will a sermon once a month. We have to take ownership of this and fight for our homes, our wives, our children, and our cities, gentlemen. Now, I'm not here condemning. Listen, man, I'm not going to ask you. I'm not asking for anybody to stand up and give an open confession. But listen, can't we all be sobered? Listen, this is not a part of my life. This is not what I do with my life. But I am instructed by reading it, and I'm getting, I'm getting uh, convicted by my own preaching tonight. I'm getting warned by my own preaching. And I'm not trafficking in this stuff. This is not a part of my life. But I want to remember what it could be if I ever gave myself to it. And so it goes further. Look in verse number three, and we'll see God's sovereign grace for Samson. Because remember, he's still in the bed. The enemy's still surrounding him. He's still in really, really big trouble. He has no clue that he's opened the door to this kind of danger. But look, I believe God kept him awake at the beginning of verse three. Samson's laying there until midnight. And at midnight, he arose. So Samson's laying in bed. I don't want to be silly or graphic here, but most men, when they're done with sexual gratification, they just fall asleep, and Samson can't sleep, and he's just laying there. The Bible doesn't say what he's thinking. It's all just conjecture. I do wonder if he's thinking about his life, if he's thinking about what he just did with a prostitute. If he's thinking about the call of God on his life and how his mother and father relayed to him from a very young age, how the angel, the angel of the Lord, which turned out to be the Lord, came and prophesied his destiny, and now he's laying in the bed with a Philistine prostitute. Maybe God just wouldn't let him sleep that night because God wanted him to escape what he had gotten himself into. But I believe that the Lord, who Scripture says he gives his beloved sleep, and when we are typically not able to sleep, it's, it's oftentimes because there's something we're wrestling with in our hearts, and God allowed Samson to go through whatever he was going through, and he's, he's awake. So look at the end of verse 3. He doesn't just lay there. God stirs him up. So Samson gets up out of bed, and he starts heading away from the, uh, the place where he was with the prostitute, and the Bible says he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders. Now, it's very interesting because every other physical feat that Samson did that was dramatic and amazing, the Bible specifies that the Spirit of the Lord rushed on him to do that. We're not, we're not told that here, but if you understand uh, the structure and the, uh, edif- the edifices, the, the, what am I trying to say, the uh, construction of ancient city walls, typically the the entire city would be walled around with impenetrable walls, and there would be one main gate. And in the evening, they would bar that gate that keeps the bad guys from getting into that city. And so Samson's getting up at midnight. He's leaving the prostitute's place. He is making his way in the street. It does make you wonder, where are the guys that are waiting in the darkness? Where, where's the enemy? Where, where were they? I thought they were waiting to kill him. Chances are they were probably snoozing because they said they were going to get him in the morning. They didn't expect him to leave at night. But all of a sudden, Samson's standing at the gates, and the Bible is very clear that with his own two hands... He tears the city gates off of their pinnings, takes the, the, the metallic bar that would have kept it bolted, and in one piece, he puts the city gate on his shoulders, probably going down the length of his back, and he just starts walking out of Gaza with it. Um, the reason why I highlight this is because although it does not say that the Lord came upon him to do this there's no other explanation this can't be a strictly human physical act this is once again God enabling his servant his appointed leader for Israel God's enabling him to do things 
that actually bring God glory. We struggle with this theologically because let me tell you how you and I operate. We don't operate in the extreme grace that God chooses to operate in with Samson. Because, and I don't mean this blasphemously or heretically, but if I were God, I'm not going to use the guy who just slept with a prostitute. I'm not going to bless him. Matter of fact, man, he's dead a long time ago, and I would have moved on to somebody else. But God is God, and he will show mercy upon whom he will show mercy. And he doesn't operate like us. Remember, he tells us, hey, Jeff, my thoughts are much higher than your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, Jeff. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and ways higher than your thoughts and ways. And so that's just meant to humble us and to teach us to be quiet in the presence of a God that we can't always predict. And so Samson has the strength anointing. He, he literally tears the city gates. Now, let me just tell you from a military perspective, there is no more humiliating thing that can happen in a city than to have your gates taken away. There, nothing else. I mean, these people are, if they didn't wake up with the noise of Samson just ripping wood and metal off of its hinges, then they woke up it's, and when the sun came up and they're like, hmm, where did the city gates go? Now, look at what the scriptures say, though. By the way, I think it's really interesting. This is something I had not seen before today that in uh, the Abrahamic covenant, covenant, as God was prophesying over Abraham concerning his seed in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 17, there's a very specific thing that says that the seed, the descendants of Abraham, will possess the gates of their enemies. And here we have a a literal fulfillment that God had decreed that Samson would begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Samson goes down to the southernmost city, the largest city of the Philistine cities, Gaza, and he rips the gates off and he takes them away. And then the scripture says this, that God also broke them out. In verse number three, it, it goes on to say that he carried them. Samson carried the gates on his shoulders, on his back, to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Now, we don't know geographically exactly where this is, but the ancient city of Hebron in proximity to the ancient uh, city of Gaza was about 30 miles away on an uphill incline. Samson was a bad dude. I mean, he is carrying the city gates 30 miles on his back uphill, and he gets to Hebron and he sets them up as a monument. And so everybody in Hebron who were ignorant of Samson's promiscuity with the harlot are probably revering Samson as the hero and giving God glory for sending a one who's going to deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. Let me give you this real quick. Lord, help me to say this wisely. That was cool. Precious little baby. Um... Be careful about being impressed with people's gifts and apparent effectiveness in the kingdom. Just because somebody is gifted and successful, maybe visibly fruitful, it does not always mean that they're operating in the will of God. Sometimes God is so committed to his own glory that he will use one of his children in spite of their disobedience in spite of their lack of consecration. And so that's why hero worship in the kingdom, pastor worship, minister worship, these silly things that take places in churches where the great woman of God or the great man of God is just you know, awestruck in their presence. We need to just chill out on that. There's only one who is awesome, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let's love each other. Let's appreciate it. But listen, the Scriptures are very clear that Paul wrote to Timothy. Man, my brain's not sharp tonight. He said, some men's sins are open beforehand. Those that are otherwise cannot be hid. In other words, it's the end that reveals just exactly what people are. And so when we see something great done, like carrying Gaza's gates on your back up a hill 30 miles, let's appreciate the servant, but let's always remember to glorify the Lord. And so if somebody's hitting a booming, incredible crescendo vocal on Sunday morning, let's not get autographs from that vocalist. Let's say, magnify the Lord with me. Hallelujah. He was glorified. 
If, if a teacher or a preacher is just feeding your soul, just remember they're a sinner saved by grace who is now a saint kept by grace. And so we don't worship people and we don't aggrandize people. We love them, we appreciate them, we serve them when we can. But listen, our knees are only to bow in one place and that's before the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we belong. So Samson gets up the hill and now we're going we're gonna to get into Delilah territory and then we'll, we'll be done for, for tonight. So we've seen God's sovereign grace for Samson. He used it a dude who was just in the bed of a prostitute. And God uses him for a miraculous work. It's mind-blowing to me. We've seen Samson's moral weakness and that he is driven by his sexual appetites. And now we're going to see the flesh and its proven failure in life. I told you this stuff was not encouraging, but it is instructional. So th this is not just Samson's flesh, this is our flesh. Remember, it was the great Apostle Paul who said, in my flesh there dwells nothing good. And so to the degree that we lean on the flesh, it's to that same degree that we will experience um, misery and, and just barrenness. And so what does Samson do? Well, the cycle resumes immediately, verse number four. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Here we go again. I mean, he, this is his third woman in three chapters. Every time you see Samson, his eyes are scouring for the next woman. And he, it's just the cycle. Now, listen again. One would think that after he experienced this anointing of carrying Gaza's gates up the hill and, 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 and literally humiliating them, one would think that he would have some conviction about spending the night with a prostitute. He'd have some conviction about his moral uh, relativism. You'd think he would just have some kind of piercing in his heart that says, why am I living this way? My God is great. Who knows? Maybe he did. If he did, it's not recorded. There seems to be no contrition in Samson until the hour of his death. And so after that great victory, what does he do? He goes right back to find another woman. This is a guy who doesn't think he can be happy without a woman. Now listen, I know God told Adam it's not good for man to be alone. I, I get that, and I appreciate the fact that it's a normal and natural desire of most human beings to want to partner with somebody in, in, in wedded bliss. That's a great desire, but that's not what Samson's doing. Samson's just, I mean, he's just acting like a beast. And he's just jumping from woman to woman to woman. And so here's his last one, by the way. There wouldn't be any after Delilah. Because with Delilah, it seems that the Lord said this far no more. And it's very unfortunate because this is the beginning of the end for him. Um... So his narrow escape just taught him nothing. By the way, there's a lot of different opinions on what the name Delilah means. Some believe it was probably her nickname based on her reputation because they believe it, it, it in its core form it means the temptress. And ain't nobody going to name their baby daughter the temptress. And so she picked up that name somewhere along the line and she sure lives up to it. And, and Samson just sees her. In the Bible, this is the first time it says he loves her. The other women, he, he never, it was never recorded that he loved them. He, he liked them. He looked at them. He demanded them. But something got his heart with Delilah. So the danger reappears. So the Bible says in verse number five that the lords of the Philistine, there were five Philistine cities, and each one had a lord over that city. It's just an old word that means the governor, the ruler. And the lord of the Philist, lords of the Philistines came up to her. So they now know Samson's with Delilah. He's hanging out long enough. And they said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and what, by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And by the way, Delilah, each one of us, all five of us, we're going to give you 1,100 pieces of silver. She could retire. She'd never have to sell her body again. Oh, that was the other lady, sorry. Delilah is not known as the prostitute, but 1,100 pieces of silver each. 5,500 5, pieces of silver. She's done working for the rest of her life. She can do whatever she wants. And so here you have Samson's 
lust for sex meeting Delilah's apparent lust for money. It's a lethal combination. By the way, it happens all the time. Still happens today. Samson was not the last guy who went looking for a babe. Delilah was not the last woman who went looking for a sugar daddy. And so you've got this lethal toxicity in this relationship. And so what's, what flesh gives birth to flesh. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Imagine what kind of reputation she must have had, by the way, to where the lords of the Philistines know that they can go to her with money and say, if you'll just seduce this guy, wow him in the bedroom, and then while you're wowing him in the bedroom, see if you can extract some information. What a total assault on, on just her reputation, but apparently she had earned it by that point. I mean, this is ugly, isn't it? This is just ugly humanity right here. Well, I've only got one verse left, so I'm, you're about to get free, but... It's, it's very interesting that the enemy knew that they could eventually get Samson by working through the women he went after. Why? Because it was his weak point. Again, it's, it's, it's a very clear picture of how the enemy works still today. He, he just will keep pounding on the bruise of your weak point until it bursts. And so we're, we're called to humble ourselves before God and know our weak points. By the way, I think it's important just to go ahead and acknowledge this. Men are not the only gender that are sexually tempted. It's not just guys. I think we probably have a greater propensity for that. But it takes two to tango. And so you've got this lethal combination and this repetition of Samson being made vulnerable because... He's not being governed by the Holy Spirit. He's being governed by his flesh. And the end thereof is the ways of death. So verse number six, the temptation repeats. So here we go again. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. You know how stupid he is? Love makes people stupid. Samson was in love. Delilah, I don't think she gave a rip about Samson, but love makes people stupid. If I'm Samson, I'd like to think that as soon as I hear that, whoop, 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 my alarms go off. Hey, why is she saying that? Not Samson. He makes a game out of it, and we'll talk next week about what eventually happens. But man, he didn't see it coming. He's already done this dance with the lady he, he married in chapter number 14. She got him and nagged him to a place and whined and cried to the place where he would reveal the secret of his riddle. And here we have the same exact tactic coming in. We've got to learn from our mistakes. And if we don't have a history of mistakes to learn from, let's at least learn from somebody else's mistakes. And guys, I know I've been a little bold with you tonight, but man, we need to be bold with each other. I'm a grace guy. It may not sound like it tonight, but I'm a grace guy. I'm a merciful guy. When I find somebody in the brokenness of their sin and the consequences of their sin, I don't come in sermonizing with them. I'll weep with those that weep. I, I'll come alongside and say, hey, look, man, your DNA is just like my DNA. You, you stepped out from abiding in the Holy Spirit. You, you, you gave incremental disobedience an open door in your life, and that's why you've landed here, but I'm going to walk with you because what, 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 what Satan kills, God can resurrect. And so it's not about condemnation. It's not about guilt. But wouldn't it be good if we had conversations like this before we implode, before our families are destroyed, before we are rendered impotent in the kingdom spiritually because we're giving our hearts to the, the, the enemy's devices? This is the culture that we're living in, and the only hope for the culture changing is an awakening and a revival, and that can happen. Atlanta is now the uh, largest movie-making industry in the United States. Did you know that? Georgia is. Let me say it that way. Georgia has now surpassed California for the largest movie-making. The entertainment industry has come to our home state. 
My guess is it won't be long before the adult film industry begins to relocate in our city. Why are we going up to the mountain on August 25th? Because we're going to take a swing in the spirit at the demonic strongholds that are over the city. Religion will not set anybody free. It never has. It just, it just saddles them up with a, a different color chain. Religion is just a different gauge of chain. But revival will snap those chains. Gentlemen, we don't have to struggle with lust. It is not a virtue to struggle with it. It is a virtue to declare I am completely free of it because of the power and the holiness of Jesus Christ who lives in me. That may sound like a fairy tale to a lot of men, but it's not. It absolutely isn't. So as Samson has given himself away, and we'll finish up in the next two weeks with him, let's just be sober tonight and let's just recognize, beware you that think you stand. Take heed lest you fall. Will you stand to your feet with me? Do you feel the intensity in the room? Do you feel it? All the other messages at the end, we, we, we climbed out and we, we left rejoicing. The Lord's not allowing that tonight. The Lord wants a sobriety to fall on us. And so I'm just going to pray for us. Jesus, do the deep work in our hearts. Our culture has desensitized us to sexual sin. Resensitize us to it. Make us so aware, not obsessing over it, Lord, but triumphing over it. I pray for an impartation of victory and immunity against sexual sin in all of my Christian brothers' hearts that are hearing this. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will echo what's been shared tonight privately, precisely, and personally to each one of us as men. Shine the light on where the devil's working in darkness. Help us to look at your daughters who are our wives or our daughters and recognize that they're made in the image of God, that they're not there for our consumption. And Father, I pray for a renewed breakthrough in every man's life as we consecrate ourselves in sobriety, humility, and dependence upon you. We make a covenant with our eyes not to look upon a woman that is not our wife. In Jesus' name, amen.